Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Father, we ask right now that you would prepare our hearts for your word. Lord, let it be life-changing for us today. Lord, I believe there's people in this room that are walking through the mundane. They are walking through the ordinary. And right now, Lord, I believe that you are going to bless us once again with your presence. You are going to change us through your word and transform our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Last week, we started this new series, Extraordinary. And I told you that much of life is mundane and rhythm. It just keeps coming around. You go through the same things all the time. Life is often mundane. It's extraordinary, like ordinary times two, not extraordinary. But God does some of his most extraordinary work through the most ordinary events and through the most ordinary of people. Last week, we looked at the life of a very ordinary person in the Bible by the name of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham, who was a great man of faith, even willing to sacrifice his son to please the Lord. Isaac was the father of Jacob, whose life had a dramatic turnaround after an encounter with God. But here's what we learned last week is that Isaac's life is sandwiched between these two great patriarchs of the faith. And so we looked at two thoughts about ordinary people. It was simple. It was this. First of all, God uses ordinary people to serve extraordinary people. Isaac served his father Abraham. He was willing to go to the mountaintop with him in order for him to fulfill his life's calling. And so Isaac served his father because God uses ordinary people to serve extraordinary people. And the second point was this, God uses ordinary people to influence extraordinary people. Isaac was able to influence his son Jacob to the point that Jacob wanted what his father had and was willing to go to extremes, right or wrong, he was willing to go to the extremes to get what his father had. And ultimately that was a relationship with God. And so Isaac's life may not have been that exciting, but God used him to serve and to influence extraordinary people. Parents, we need to take note of that. We need to realize that God will use us to not only serve extraordinary people, but also influence extraordinary people. Because in our homes, in our lives right now, within our grip, we have extraordinary people that God is using us. Our life may be mundane, but God is using our lives to set them up to be extraordinary. Let's use it wisely. Amen? And so God is often referred to throughout the Bible and even today as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he's sandwiched right there. The mundane is sandwiched between the extraordinary because God is still the God of the mundane. Amen? That should give you a lot of hope right there, that God is still the God of the mundane. So on this 2014 Support Staff Appreciation Day, I would like to share with you 10 inspirational phrases that I think about, but I would never say it during a staff meeting. 10 inspirational phrases that I think about, but I don't ever share with my staff. Number one, there is no I in teamwork, but there is in management kiss up. I think it, but I never say it. Number two, if you do a good job and work hard, you may get a job with a bigger church someday. I think it but I never say it. Number three, the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off due to budget cuts. (laughs) I think it, but I never say it. Doing a job right the first time gets the job done. Followed by number five, doing the job wrong 14 times before getting it right gives you job security. (laughs) 
I think it, but I never say it. Number six, if you think we're a mess, you should see the other churches. Don't laugh. I think it, I don't share it. Number seven, your job is still better than asking, do you want fries with that? <laughs> Number eight, I think this, but I never share it. Plagiarism saves time. <laughs> Number nine, Number nine, pride, commitment, teamwork. Use these words to get volunteers to work for free. <laughs> and finally, number 10, teamwork means never having to always take all the blame yourself. Or maybe I would share that. Because you guys, you provide that for me. You do. I never have to take the whole blame because of the team effort. But that also means that I can't take all the credit either. Because these staff members are a blessing to myself and a blessing to this church. The reality is that along with me, your church staff is very ordinary and average. I know that's not what you want me to say about you guys, but that's the fact. We're not Bible scholars. I know some of you expect us to be, but we're not. None of us have written any best-selling books. None of us have written any wonderful worship songs. We've written some bad worship songs that you'll never hear. But, but for most of us, including me, ministry was not what we set out to do. It was not on our radar, but somewhere along the way, some way, somehow, God put us together for his purpose. And that's why I'm subtitling today's message, March of the Mundane. I want to share with you some extraordinary verses. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Let me remind you of our play on words here. These are not extraordinary verses. These are extraordinary verses. Plain, common, mundane. Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 12 through 16. In these days, he went to the mountaintop to pray. He is Jesus. So in these days, he went to the mountaintop to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor told you. It's very boring verses. You've probably never heard a pastor preach on verses that are quite this boring before, at least not without reading on and, and finding out what else there is to say, because this really is the basic text of this sermon today. Because at first glance, it's just very, very boring. I looked it up in the NIV, and it's still very boring. I looked it up in the good old King James Version. Still very boring. I thought, well, let me look it up in Eugene Peterson's The Message because he expounds upon Scripture. And so I looked this up in Eugene Peterson's version of The Message, and it was still extremely mundane. And all of these versions, this little section of Scripture just doesn't change. It's very, very boring, at least until you know what you are dealing with. 
And once you figure out what you're dealing with, it gives people like me and people like you and, and all of those that have mundane moments in our lives, it gives us a little bit of hope. We know that these men that Jesus handpicked to be his disciples were not the typical chosen ones. You see, rabbis would usually look for the best of the best. The young students that were graduating from school with a good understanding of the Old Testament. There was no separation of church and state. And that Jewish culture, the Word of God, the Old Testament, that was their textbook. That was what they learned. If you wanted to learn how to live in life, if you wanted to learn how to run a business, if you wanted to learn the tricks of the trade for living life, you had to get it from God's Word. The teaching of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was their education, not arithmetic not English, not algebra, not trig. The Torah was what they had to learn to be successful. The first century Jewish historian Josephus said, above all else, we pride ourselves on the education of our children. And so it was something that they took extremely serious, but only to a certain level, because if you were not the best of the best, you did not advance, you did not move on. You see, by age 10, they would have the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they would have them memorized. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Go ahead, look at it in your Bible. Pull it up on your phone if you want to. There's a lot of words to memorize there. And if you didn't memorize that, then it was time for you to quit school and you would go and learn the family trade. If your dad was a fisherman, that's when you would become a fisherman. If your dad was a carpenter, that's when you would become a carpenter. If your dad was a trash man, that's when you would become the trash man. But for those that could memorize the Torah, they would move on to a higher education. And by the age of 13 or 14, the top students would have the entire Old Testament memorized. That's all 39 books, Genesis through Malachi, memorized, committed to memory. They would know it verbatim, word for word. And if not, if you didn't have that, then you were released to go and learn the family trade at that point. But those that did memorize the, the Old Testament, those that were fluent in their understanding of the word, those, those people, those, those students, and, and they were only males, that they were eligible to become a disciple of a rabbi. And so the rabbi would, would come near the school and, and he would begin asking questions to those that were now available. And, and he would ask a question and they would answer the question with a question and they would bounce questions back and forth. And, and, and that's why Jesus was, was at the temple at 12 years old and they said that they were astonished by the questions that he asked because they were bouncing questions back and forth and that's how they would learn. And so that's how a, 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 a rabbi would draft a player or pick a player or handpick one to come and be a disciple of a particular rabbi. Now we are certain that the disciples that Jesus chose were not the ones who made it all the way through school. Some way, somewhere along the way, they became dropouts. Somebody told them, you're not good enough. Maybe they realized it themselves and said, there's no way I can memorize this. There's no way that I can, I, I can even begin to comprehend a rabbi's yoke and take that upon me. That was the interpretation of the scripture, the yoke that he would take upon him. And he said, there's no way that they could expound upon that and ask the right questions. These disciples that Jesus picked, they were ordinary, common people. They were like you. They were like me. They were not Bible scholars. They were people that make a living by providing services and products for consumers. We know this because we know that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we know that they were all fishermen. Probably 
acquired that from their fathers, learning the family business. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. It's very possible that Judas Iscariot was an accountant of some sort or maybe even another tax collector because he was the one that was chosen to be the treasurer of the ministry of Jesus Christ. We don't know what Simon the Zealot did for a living, but we do know that he was called out of a radical Jewish group called the Zealots, which strongly opposed Roman rule and were committed to the law. We really don't have a clue what the other five did for a living. We don't know what their occupations were. We don't know what their lives looked like before Christ. But just looking at the pattern of who Jesus would handpick to be his disciples, I can assure you that they were not the best of the best. They were not the students that everybody else was picking to be their disciples, that all the other rabbis were looking for. But you see, that's the hope of Christianity today, isn't it? is that Jesus doesn't come looking for us when we've got it all figured out. Jesus doesn't come looking for us whenever we know God's word and we've got it memorized, committed to memory. No, he comes looking at us when we're at our lowest. He comes looking at us when nobody else cares. He comes looking for us whenever he looks and sees something in us that nobody else can see and says, that's going to be my disciple. I don't need the best. I just need somebody that's willing to drop their nets and follow me. That's what he's looking for. Don't you buy in for one second into the lie that you have to be extraordinary to do extraordinary things. That's a lie from the enemy. That we think to ourselves, we have to be extraordinary to do extraordinary things. No, God can take the very mundane in life and the very ordinary in life, the things that are extraordinary, and he can produce something that is extraordinary. Because I, I'm going to let you in on a secret right now that is, is going to hurt some of your feelings. But, but you need to know this. Because this is the kingdom of God. By yourself, you're not that great. By myself, I'm not that great. But teamed with God's people, you're amazing. In the context of the church, the body of Christ, you're extraordinary. But alone, you're awful. You're useless. You're ordinary. Paul paints this picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 21. Listen to what he says. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Listen to what he says. For those of you in the room right now that feel like you're the weakest part of the body of Christ, he says that you're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the great honor. He says, listen, if you feel like you're one of the less honorable, he says, it's on you that we bestow great honor. And, on, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. In other words, for some of you that just act like a butt sometimes, he says, I've got you covered. I've got you covered. He says, the, the, the parts, the unpresentable parts, we treat with greater modesty. And listen to this, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Listen to what he says. He says, listen, when there's success in the kingdom, when Destiny Community Church does something to reach our community, he says, all of us get the honor. It's not just bestowed on one person. We all get the credit for it. And let me tell you, I'm really not worried about what man says about us and really the score that man's keeping, but I'm more concerned with with what's happening in heaven. And listen, I know I can't serve to earn my salvation. No, I, no, I, I can't. I receive that by faith. There's nothing I can do to get that. But you do know there are rewards and crowns in heaven for how we serve. You understand that, right? That is God's word. Go search it for yourself. But that's what I'm concerned with. I want to make sure that when I get to heaven, he looks at me and says, well done, you good and faithful servant. Your life has been extraordinary because you were a part of the body of Christ. Because by myself, I stink. I can't get it right. I cannot accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. But when he puts me in the mem- into the membership of the body of Christ, and that has nothing to do with church membership. This has everything to do with being a part of the big picture. And, and when he puts me in there, then amazing things begin to happen through my life. Think about the disciples, these ordinary men. Dropouts. Together intertwined into the family of God, these disciples did amazing things. Separately, they were stinky fishermen. They were tax collectors that basically stole from the people. And they were overzealous people that liked to picket. But together, in the kingdom of God, they fed thousands, physically and spiritually. They healed the sick. Together, they walked with Christ. There's this one verse in Acts chapter 4 that really stands out to me when you start talking about common, ordinary people. You see, at the beginning of the church era, the priests and the Sadducees, the religious court, They were disturbed because Peter and John were teaching the resurrection of Christ. They knew the truth, and they were not ashamed to share it. And so they arrest them. They bring bring these two guys in. They bring Peter and John in, and and basically they they start a trial. And and, and, in Acts 4 and 13, it says that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Say ordinary They were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't here right now walking with us physically. But the body of Christ is alive and well. The body of Christ, the army of the Lord is moving forward. And when we are part of that body, as mundane, as ordinary as we are, we begin gaining ground because God is going to do extraordinary things through us. It's the march of the mundane, but it's with an anointing of the Holy Spirit that God puts on our lives. This courage that, they, that these two men had, it brought about freedom for these ordinary men. They recognized it and let them loose. Forgive me as I close this out for being a little sentimental. Someone recently sent me a picture of the old sanctuary of the church that I was on staff at in Tampa. 
And in this text message picture that they sent me, the church, the old sanctuary had been demolished, completely leveled, flattened. You see, the church had sold that property a few years ago to a school. Actually, the Derrick Brooks Foundation and the DeBartolo family are the ones that bought it. And they've opened up a, a charter school there. And, and the plans are they, they're, they flatten, they d demolish the old sanctuary, and they're, they're possibly going to build a football field there. And, 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 you know, as nostalgic as it is, I get it. I understand. Sometimes buildings have to be tore down. I know that that building, that brick and mortar is not the church. We're the church. And so I, I understand all that. But you have to understand that that old sanctuary is, is where I spent many days, many days, often working. I would be up in a lift changing light bulbs fixing video projectors. That old sanctuary was hit by lightning so many times and I would have to go up and change fuses in the lights and all kinds of things. And then there's those moments where it was just me and the Lord in this big cathedral-looking sanctuary. And I would just cry out to the Lord and they're all by myself. And so it's, it's very nostalgic for me. From I-275, the front of this building demanded your attention it had three large stained glass windows that were magnificent to see from the road. To describe the location of the church to someone, usually you could just mention the stained glass and they would immediately know what church you were talking about. They knew that it was right off 275 between Fowler Avenue and Bush and they knew exactly what you were talking about when you would talk about the stained glass windows. I remember one afternoon, I, I walked out of our offices, which they were across the parking lot, and so it was not attached to this building, and I left the offices, and I'm walking over to this building, and as I'm walking in front of that first stained glass window there, I look down on the ground, and there is this, this rock laying there on the sidewalk, and I pick it up, and I could tell that it was, it was red, but it was a deep, deep, dark red, and there was an overcast that day, so I tried to hold it up to, to get a good look at it, but you know, really no sun was shining through it, but, but I immediately looked up, and I thought to myself, this came out of this stained glass, and so I walked on inside of the foyer there, the front of the sanctuary, where I could really get a good look. And sure enough, I began looking up, and there was a hole. You could see where that, that particular um, you know, piece of glass had fallen out down to the ground. And I could see that there was a hole there and that it was missing. Now, before modern electricity, churches were built with lots of windows. During the Middle Ages, priests and church leaders were in charge of teaching God's Word to ordinary, common people who simply just couldn't read. They were illiterate. And these church leaders would hire craftsmen to make stained glass windows that portrayed images from the Bible because in this way, the images could help teach the parishioners who could not read for themselves. It could teach them key events from the Bible. So you would see images of the Old Testament and images from the New Testament of the life of Christ portrayed in these beautiful works of stained glass. The window artisans would use shards of colored glass that they would carefully select and then they would arrange them creating breathtaking art. But one piece of glass was useless by itself. It was mundane, it was boring. The one that I picked up off the ground it was really, really dark. Could barely tell what color it was. 
But when you place it back into the stained glass portrait, into the context that it was shaped and created to be in, and into that artwork, it suddenly becomes extraordinary. You see, by itself, it can just simply be a blue piece of glass. But in the stained glass portrait, it becomes the eye of Christ. By itself, it's just a shard of red glass, but combined with other pieces, it's the blood flowing from the crown of thorns pushed into the brow of Jesus. He becomes extraordinary, telling a story about our salvation. The masterpiece is not complete without every piece being in place. Josh, Andrew, Alexis, I want you guys to know that by myself, I'm just a rock. E. By myself, I can't do this. I'm useless. By myself, the load is much too heavy to bear. But when God puts me into the big picture and surrounds me by other shards of glass, God's handiwork becomes magnificent. Church, I'll tell you, it's an honor for me to serve with these people. But then we're just a few shards of glass in the big picture of what God wants to do in and through this church. You see, I remember what it was like when it was just me in an office by myself and I was printing, proofreading, and preparing the bulletin right by myself. And Alexis, it doesn't look anything like it did today. But I remember what that was like and I was just a shard of glass all alone and God slowly started adding people in and before long we had 35 people which was enough to launch. And then God keeps adding more pieces of glass and soon he adds our first staff member and, and he comes in and, and soon there's another and another and, and, and more people are being added to that. And when you stand back and you look at us today, we are a beautiful masterpiece, not because any of us in this room are Bible scholars except Lloyd Austin. But other than that, nobody else in this room is a Bible scholar. We're average, we're normal people, we're common. We listen to Bon Jovi. We listen to Boys to Men. Josh listens to Taylor Swift. <laughs> Average, mundane, useless. And God says, let me add you to the body of Christ. Find your place in there. Let me place you where I need you. And then suddenly the march of the mundane starts and we start gaining ground. There is not a gate in hell that can stop us. Jesus looked at Peter and said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not, not might not, will not prevail against it. When God's people come together and we're willing to be a part of the plan, we can storm the enemy's gates and they can't withstand us. 
reason why we've had success as a church is because I'm a shard of glass. They're a shard of glass, and you're a shard of glass. And when God, the artisan, begins to arrange us, he creates the masterpiece, and together we become extraordinary. I'm useless by myself, but I'm extraordinary as a part of the body of Christ. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.